certainly I would say the pizza we're selling today is better than the pizza we've ever sold. We did not have the requisite capital to open a pub. So, and a you know, quarter of a million pounds was just completely unattainable. So that was when we started thinking differently. And it was, it was sort of then that we started to notice the street food thing happening. And we're like, well, hang on a minute, this is a business that you can get into with no capital or like very little. Yeah. So like you need a pizza in Victoria to taste exactly like it tastes in Dean Street, exactly sure. like it tastes in Oxford. Sure. Um, whilst also making each one feel like its own entity. So it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a constant battle really. Yeah. I genuinely believe that like, you know, as a young person, go and do your degree in whatever you're passionate about, let's say it's engineering or whatever you mum, mum and dad think you should be doing to get like a proper job. Come out of university and then come and do like two years, even a year, two, three years ideally in hospitality and you will, A, you'll have a great time, because you'll be a young person in hospitality, which is you know, just full of amazing people. But you will learn about people and you will walk out of that job so much more confident. Our eating habits are changing. We're demanding better dining experiences and the food market has never been so competitive. Starting and succeeding with a food business is challenging but some determined and passionate entrepreneurs are flourishing. These people have big dreams, big passion, and big drive. They are disruptors, change makers, and innovators. They see a positive future. Many say that food business is too risky. Some say that it has huge rewards. Are you up for the challenge. One of my favorite places to go in London and get pizza is Pizza Pilgrims. And I had the pleasure of sitting down with Tom Elliott, one half of the uh, founding team. Uh, it was himself and his brother who set it up um, back in uh, 2012 as a street food operation. Um, they went on a pilgrimage throughout Italy, purchased an ape and converted it and brought it back and started trading. He's a super personable guy. It's very clear that he has fun in what he's doing. And really what I learned um, most out of it is that he focuses so much on the people side of it. And I mean internally and externally. So he genuinely looks after the people within the business, creates a very positive culture. And it's, it's quite clear speaking to him. He genuinely cares. And I'm sure, well, from my own experience, it comes out um, on the customer side and the customer experience. So great insights from Tom, a super energetic, fun guy as well. So sit back and enjoy the conversation with Tom Elliott. So it'd be great to talk about your early years uh, to start off. Absolutely. I know your parents were in the pub business. They were, yeah, yeah. So you're growing up, you're quite involved in. So yeah, I lived. In me and my brother lived in a pub since we were five, six. Yep. Uh, and it's the best. It's the best way to grow up. I mean, it's just like you just see, like all restaurants, you just see the whole world in sure. one place. So, yeah, we we lived in pubs ever since. You know, we ran pubs in Gloucestershire, and then parents split up. My dad came to London. He ran pubs. So his first pub in London was just by Chelsea Football Club, which is why I'm a Chelsea fan. And my mum moved to Dorset, and she ran a pub in Dorset. And yeah, you know, we've just you know seen everything from you know just the guys at the bar drinking you know Heineken when it used to be three percent and you could have like eight pints of it. Okay. <laughs> to uh, you know to shooting parties. We were next to Madonna's shooting estate. Okay. So in Dorset, so Madonna used to come in and drink Timothy Taylor's Landlord, wow. halves of Timothy Taylor's Landlord, and 
and then you used to get the shooting parties in and they'd come with like a case of Petrus. Wow. That's one of my lowest moments is when they brought a case of six bottles of Petrus. And I mean, God knows, like thousands of pounds a bottle. Okay. And I was opening it in front of them to let it breathe and I dropped one oh, in front of the wow. pie. It was like, <laughs> wow. this is a like, bad moment. Come out of the wages? Or? Uh, do you know what? They were so chilled. They were, were just they? like, could have happened to anyone. Wow. They were very, kill, very cool. I would have licked it. it off the floor, I think. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> it was a bad moment. Wow, amazing. So in terms of growing up, it sounds like it was an exciting period. Yeah. It gave you kind of, I guess, an entrepreneurial spark in terms of the exciting side of it. Yeah. What about the mindset and kind of the business mindset and entrepreneurial mindset and getting through the ups and downs and building something? Is that something you consciously remember learning or is it just kind of become natural to you? I think the, the fact is that like both my parents and their parents, they weren't really, they never really worked for anyone else. They'd always worked for themselves. Yeah. So like my mum and my dad, you know, obviously had run a wine shop and then they ran a, my dad ran an import, wine import business and then they ran the pubs together. And my granddad and grandmother on my mum's side had run their own businesses and antique shops and, you know, wine bar up north because we're originally from Manchester. Um, and so like it just, it just felt completely natural that, you know, work is this sort of like it's this less discreet thing and it's more just like part of your life it just sure. sort of constantly exists um i guess you didn't really see the the you know the 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 struggles of it so much i'm not sure that like we saw the stresses and strains were hidden from us essentially we were sure. tricked into thinking it was just this easy thing and actually okay. when you actually do it yourself you realize how tough it is okay but um you know it's uh you know i always say that my my mum is probably equally disappointed and proud in Pizza Pilgrims and that you know she she worked her nuts off to get us to you know great schools or whatever whatever and with a view that we go and do something amazing oh, sure. and I think she's like it's amazing what you've done but it's annoying that it's just an hospitality yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah if that makes sense okay yeah. very good very good so why not then such a great time growing up and you saw all the positives in the pub business yeah why not open a pub yourself then why not go into that business that was the original idea okay uh and we you know, i came to london <coughs> was working in advertising which i really didn't enjoy and my brother's working in tv and we were like look we really want to get into something in this world and pubs was the obvious one because we just knew them like back to front but um we did not have the requisite capital to open a pub. So, and you know, quarter of a million pounds was just completely unattainable. So that was when we started thinking differently. And it was, it was sort of then that we started to notice the street food thing happening. And we're like, well, hang on a minute, this is a business that you can get into with no capital or like very little. Um, and that was where the sort of the idea for street food started to present itself. Okay, interesting. Mm. So then why um, going to pizza? What inspired you to start Pizza Pilgrims? It, I wish it was more romantic than this, but it was yeah. genuinely probably the only commercial decision we've ever made, which was it was a gap in the market. Okay. Street food was happening. There were lots of cool things happening up in King's Cross and you know, great stalls already starting to establish themselves like the Bowler and Hamon Hamon. And no one was doing pizza. And it was like, this seems ridiculous that such a like amazing sure. product is not being celebrated more and I think um, the fact is that it has a slightly higher bar to entry in terms of like you need to have you need to have a big pizza oven which is a expensive but b impossible to get around so yeah, that sort of change if you if you want to start a sort of burger stall or something you need a, a grill pan sure. or, or a griddle thing and you can carry that on you know whatever you can carry that on the tube if you want okay so yeah, I think those two things meant that pizza was just slightly later to get there. And then when we went to look at these street food markets, we're like, this is amazing. There regularly seems to be a gap in pizza. Okay. And obviously there's a huge market for pizza. Like everybody yeah. loves pizza. I mean, everyone so, loves pizza, yeah. right? So, so yeah, it just seemed completely obvious. And okay. then 
So yeah, I'd love to say that it was because, you know, ever since I was six, I dreamt of Naples or I went to Naples. It, sure. it was unfortunate. And the whole thing then became this, this sort of learning journey of like, right, if pizza's going to be it, how do we learn everything we can about pizza? Sure. And yeah. yeah. I watched your videos on your website last yeah. night, The Pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. I think it's 19 videos. Oh my Super God. Super entertaining. Uh, I know you got a production company involved from the early, from so the we year, had, which is great. Yeah, so we... we, we we had the idea for pizza, and then we we're like, "Let's go! And we must go and like learn about pizza." Then, then, we, then we found the van, the little Ape van, and we we're like, "This is the perfect thing for our business." It's just you know, it's Italian, it's fun, it's quirky. It was still like quite novel. You saw them as coffee stalls, but not much. And uh, so we contacted Piaggio and said, "Could you put a pizza oven in one of these?" And they were like, "No chance." So we were like, "Okay, we can definitely do this." Uh, and then. And then it turned out that the van was cheaper to buy in Italy than it was in England. And that's when it started to be like, well, maybe we should buy this van in Italy and drive it back and save the money and almost spend that money on learning everything we can about pizza. Okay. So that idea formed. And then we, uh, the short version is we met up with some, we met up with a guy who was like, this is a great idea. You should totally get this film for a TV show. We pitched it out to a few people, including um, the guys who did Jamie Oliver, and uh, for, uh, well, the guys who discovered Jamie Oliver and also Fresh One, Jamie Oliver's company and uh, another smaller company. And long and short of it is they all wanted to do it, but the bigger companies wanted to take 18 months to get it ready. And the smaller companies like, we ready to go if you're ready to go. So we went with the smaller company and we filmed a six part TV show, which aired on the Food Network, I think at like midnight. I think about 12 people watched it, okay. including my mum. <laughs> We're big in Nigeria, apparently. Okay. Um, but yeah. But then those little videos that we made were completely just us being stupid with a camera. Yeah, but yeah. great fun though. And great, I think it reflects what you are in terms of brand. Yeah. And even having it on your website now and having it as content for social media even, there's yeah. surely a lot of advantages and benefits. Yeah, I mean, it really is. That, that's such a huge part of why we do what we do is like, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And it should be fun, not just for us, but like for the whole team. Um, we've actually sort of made our company mantra about happiness and actually like if you ask a huge number of people why do they eat pizza they eat pizza because it makes them happy and so actually our mission is to, to create an environment that a our teams can be happy but b we're kind of selling happiness in a in a funny kind of way sure, sure. so you know they've got it's got to be at the heart of what we do sure i want to come back to that as well your whole sure. mantra on people i think it's really important yeah obviously these days one of the biggest issues in the industry yeah so Good to come back to that. Sure. But first of all, we, so you came back from the pilgrimage. Yeah. Had a great time. Learned yep. a lot. Yeah. Uh, had your Ape. Yeah. The Ape. Ape. Ape sorry. Yeah. Um, how then did you get going in London? How did you secure your first spot, so, your first street food spot? Got back from Italy. Then we had to do our second, slightly less glamorous pilgrimage to Colchester to get the oven put in the Ape, which was touch and go for a long time because genuinely the you know Piaggio had said this can't be done, but it can be done and. God bless her, Conchetta, our little van, is still driving around with a pizza oven in the back, the same one. Um, yeah, and then, so whilst that was happening, that was probably about December time, we, the original sort of business idea was actually to do more sort of events. So go and do like, you know, weddings, birthdays, bar mitzvahs, funerals, whatever would have us, and sell pizza like for an amount of money at an event. And I think we quite quickly realized, having got back, spending more time in the street food markets, like you need, if you're gonna build something, you need a presence to the public. Um, so we decided around that time that we wanted to have like a market stall. Uh, and then we basically just set off going to every market stall in London and um, just kind of bashing on the door of the councils basically until they, until they give in. And I think, 
you know, we, we identified four of our markets that we really wanted to be on and would write to the council and they would write back being like, there are no spaces, there's a waiting list. So then we just started going down to the markets every day and taking a picture of us standing in empty spaces and sending it to the council being like, wow. you keep telling me there are no spaces, but every time we come here, there are spaces. And um, the first guys to give in was Westminster and they, they gave us a spot on Berwick Street, which is obviously like, you know, okay. center of Soho, more than we could possibly have hoped for. And um, yeah, it okay. was, it, it was, but it was a war of attrition. Like sure. the first two or three times were just, you know, it's a no-go. Sure, sure. Yeah. So it took a lot of persistence and yeah. guile, I suppose. Yeah, I think, no. you know, and I think the whole thing in the early days of a business, I think, unless you're hugely well-funded, I mean, we did the whole thing on a credit card. Yeah. But like, unless you're hugely well-funded, it is just a sort of blag, blag, blag your way through everything. Sure, sure. Like, you've got to. Okay. And you mentioned you identified four spaces or four locations in London yeah. for them street foods yeah. stalls. How did you decide which four to choose? Was it just the busiest places or was there something else? I guess it was talking to existing street food guys uh -huh. and seeing like where work for them. I think, you know, going down to the places, seeing the footfall. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to be central, I think, because you just, you know, we didn't want to be too far out from the, you know, from, from the center of London. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was, there was no science to it really. But I think the primary thing was recommendation from other, other okay. guys doing it. Okay. Very good. So obviously street food went very well initially. And yep. then you relatively quickly went on to open your first bricks and mortar site. Yeah. We got to talk about the investment you secured yep. for that. Yeah. Because uh, quite unusual, I think you got a lot of investors. I think it was 15 yep. at the very beginning. Uh, it was amazing that a lot of them had experience, a lot of experience in different areas. So you yeah. had amazing support, yeah. uh, but also the capital as well. Yeah. But on the other side, I guess you gave away a certain amount of equity yeah. for that. Uh -huh. Um, so what drove that decision and why take that investment at that stage and why from so many different investors? All good questions. I mean, so the honest answer is that, you know, we started on the market, it went better than, I mean, I was still working at that point and I was coming down on my lunch break to do the setting and then going back to my desk. Uh, and uh, I never really thought the business could support me and my brother. I really always saw it as a way for me to get out of advertising and for him to find, you know, a thing that he could do that was his. And actually, like, the first six months were so successful, they were like, right, we're really going to make a go at this. It was only after the first summer when we'd done our first events and we'd really, you know, we'd really made a fist of it that we were like, maybe there is, there is something in this in terms of a, a real business. Like, a, not a real business, that sounds, that sounds awful. Sustainable business or something. Well, like something grow. that could support both of us, I guess. Sure, yeah. And I think, um, so that was probably you know, end of 2012. We started March 2012. End of 2012, we're like, I think this could be bricks and mortar. Uh, and we started sort of looking for someone to help make that a reality. Uh, we ended up opening Dean Street in August 2012. So it took us about 18, oh, sorry. Or we ended up opening Dean Street in August 2013. Okay. So that, it took about 18 months to get from first starting the market store to starting Dean Street. Um, we, as with everything, I think it's like start with who you know. And we, we knew one person who had worked who had started, when my dad moved to London and started a pub, he started a pub with this guy called Rupert Cleveley, who, um, you know, that was his first pub as well, and they worked together on this pub called the Chelsea Ram, which was next to Stamford Bridge. And um, uh, Rupert, we, we approached Rupert, because he at that point had built that business into Geronimo Inns, which had been like 26 pubs that he'd sold to Young's. I think he was on the board of Young's at that time. He was like, you know, he had done mm. an amazing thing in the industry. And um, so we went to him and said, look, we've got this thing, the, you know, the, the little van, it's, it's going really well. We've had a great summer on it. We think potentially there's an opportunity to do a pizzeria. And he quite quickly was like, 
pizza's oversaturated. I don't see how you're differentiated. Yeah, I don't think there's more an opportunity here that you think there is. And uh, so we got away slightly dejected. But then like opportunities kept coming our way and then we were doing a book and it was like, no, no, there really is definitely something here. And so we went back to him for a second time and said, look, you know, since we last spoke, this has all happened. We really do think there's, there's something in this. And second time around, he's like, okay, I get it. And I think, as with all of these things, like he was the gate. So it wasn't by design, but he was the gateway to all the other investors. I think amongst those 15, I have one guy who was a mate from uni who worked in corporate finance, mm -hmm. who I was just like, I need you on board to tell me if I'm being like screwed over by anyone. Uh, so got him, but all the others came basically through Rupert. Okay. Um, and it's just the best way. I mean, I can't recommend it enough in terms of, you know, we were so lucky to get some genuine industry legends. And we've got a guy called John Barnes, who was one of the founding guys for Harry Ramsden's. I mean, what he doesn't know about this industry is not worth knowing. And he's just like the loveliest, most people-focused guy. Mm. And we've got just so many guys like that in our team. But they all put in, you know, they've all made money in their lives. And they all put in an amount of money that, you know, was not meaningless, that's unfair, but, but was not important to them. Sure. So we didn't have this like huge pressure to be like, where's my return on my money? Sure. So, you know, we, we had just the best of both worlds, which is 15 guys and girls who had great experience who we could lean on to ask questions and get insight, but who were not kind of turning the screw to get their money back or like, you know, worried about their investment too much. Sure. And how did you manage, like surely there was disagreements or different opinions coming from different people. How did you manage kind of the collective like group of investors? Well, I think, um, we, we, you know, amongst that group, there were two or three people who emerged early on, Rupert being one of them, who is still our chairman, yeah. who, you know, would lead, would lead the conversation with them. And obviously okay. when we first started out, we didn't know the investors well. And so, you know, we would base it, and we were hugely new to all of this. So the idea of like, what's a board and what's, you know, the fact is that we were so lucky and that we, we gave away 30% to open that first pizzeria, me and James, but we still retained 70%. Mm. So actually like, and I fought really hard early days to be like, I need everyone to, you know, this is our business if we're gonna do this and mm. we need to be able to make the decisions. So actually, as much as getting investor consensus is important, and we've never, we've never done anything that contravened like the plan for the wider team, mm. it's always been our decision. Okay. Like, if there had ever been a situation where it's like, I want you to do this, I want you to start selling, you know, pasta. Sure. We always have the position of, well, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. Very good. Which, which I think, you know, is, is very lucky and hard to do. Absolutely. And I think Absolutely. We, we, we just, you know, we, we, we land in the right place at the right time. Sure. You get to talk about yourself and your brother. Yeah. Obviously started together. Um, know each other very well, obviously. Um, how did you, I guess, um, come into kind of being like working together? Yeah. Um, how do your skill sets complement each other? And how did you, did you consciously decide who's doing what? Or are you just naturally complementary? Uh, it's really interesting. I, mean, I think the bottom line is we don't share any skills at all. Like we're, we're completely different. But, but also, you know, the strange thing about the, those differences is that we very rarely disagree on the right solution to something. So. We come at things from a very different place, but we often get to the same end goal, which is you know amazing. I mean, we've not had a falling out that's worth talking about that existed for more than five minutes in the whole time, which is amazing. And that's the first thing that everyone jumps to when I say oh, I work with my brother. They're like, I could never work with my sibling. Mm. And I, I, I guess I don't really understand that. I mean, the fact is that James is much more easygoing than I am, and like you know, is just willing to like 
you know, he's not as, I'm, I'm the one who's like, I think we should do this and like, this is the way we should do it. And he, you know, he kind of lets that happen quite a lot. I guess I'm the older brother, so it sort of becomes part of a, part of a thing. But um, no, we work incredibly well together. And I think we've learned as we've gone so much about, you know, what we started off doing everything together and like everything single, you know, we'd meet at 8 a.m. in the morning and work together all day and then part ways at seven o'clock at night type thing. Okay. And then as you go on, you realize, you know, you have got your specific skill sets that, you know, you've got to focus on and something I would be doing spreadsheets and leases and he would be doing food development and restaurant design. Uh, and there was a period where we literally almost were in silos because it was just like, there's so much to do and we haven't got anyone around. So we're going to just like completely focus on our own bits. But actually the most powerful is when we can kind of all be together on, on it, but then like go away and focus on it, if that makes sense. So sure. like the coming back together, now that we've grown a bit more, we've got more of a team around us and stuff. Like yesterday, for example, food development meetings, like James used to do the food development meetings on his own. And actually I now come to them as well. Um, and it's so nice because it's, you know, we, we bounce ideas off each other and I think we can genuinely like help elevate stuff together. Sure. Um, he's definitely leading it and like he is 99% of the food development in Pizza Pilgrims. Sure. But it's nice to be able to go in and be like, how we thought about this, what about this? Like, sure. So you almost come together at a high level and then yeah. it kind of filters down. Yeah. Okay. So I think we started completely together and inseparable. Then we went through a period where it was like, we're just doing our own thing and there's no time for us to really get together and talk about it. And I think we're really trying to get together and talk about things more because I think okay. between us we come to better decisions on everything. Interesting. So it sounds like you didn't really consciously decide like you're doing this and I'm doing this. It was just no, more of a natural it was just skill set divide I suppose. Absolutely yeah. right. And okay. you know, James is better at, you know, stuff that's a bit more, you know, ha like happening in real life and you know, like I say, like building stuff. I mean, I can sit in a restaurant design meeting and be pretty bored. Yeah. To the same extent that James can sit in a sort of leasing meeting and be pretty bored. Sure. Like, you know, it's, 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 we're very lucky. Like we didn't, if, if we both wanted to do the restaurant design and yeah. no one wants to do the leasing, I think that'd be much harder. Okay. And I read that you used to, I don't know if you still do, but you do your own restaurant design. Yeah. James does he, it all. He still does it. James does wow. it all. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We, I mean, we had, we, we had a brief period in the middle where we got into some quite sort of like London Bridge, for example. Network Rail, God bless them, you know, amazing landlords in terms of the locations they have, but because of the size of the organization and the, you know, sort of public element to it, you know, the, the, the demands on the fit out are mm. off the chain in terms of like what you need to be able to deliver from paperwork to health and safety to whatever. Um, and I think, you know, for example, for that one, we did get a designer in to help us just get through the sort of the admin essentially. But James was at the forefront of designing it, but then we did that and then, I think we just felt, you know, we love that restaurant and it's, it's a beautiful restaurant actually, but it, you know, it's, I think James just felt like it wasn't 100% him. Mm. And I think that was really important. Makes sense. So, so is that why he's doing it? Is it just to kind of get his vision kind of built to kind of as much detail as possible? Or is I it like an easier process or why? It's an easier process it, yeah. and I think, you know, he's, he's, he's really good at it. He kind of comes up with novel ideas that a lot of people go like, well, where's that come from? But it, it works. Yeah. And I think... I know I just it keeps it when you walk into Victoria which is our newest opening like it, there's lots of sort of like little sort of glints in the eye that you're like okay this really does feel like something that we've done maybe no one else sees it maybe just me and James do yeah. but for us that's really important you know it's still our business and we really want it to, to feel like that okay. so you know James still does all the social media James obviously does, designs all the restaurants like all the food development is 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 James okay. as well so that stuff is really important yeah i guess it's a good way of keeping consistencies across different areas as well so from brand to menu to design etc you think it's that, that one clear vision you'd think yeah. that but i think that 
the thing about Peter Pilgrim is I think there is a sort of very high level consistency yeah. but it manifests itself in a, a lot of different ways so if you look at the different restaurants they don't look consistent sure like they, they've got loads of different things sure. going on and, and we really want to keep that going sure which I think is important these days as well like yeah. the cookie cutter approach doesn't work yeah there needs to be like a unique destination uh, and a unique experience in each site absolutely yeah. but at the same time you need to get that sort of that holy grail of consistency exactly yeah. so like you need a pizza in Victoria to taste exactly like it tastes in Dean Street exactly sure. like it tastes in Oxford sure um, whilst also making each one feel like its own entity so it, it's you know it's a, it's a constant battle really yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah we're, we're working on it okay. and you know that's the thing you just you, you, there's never I don't think there's ever a point where you just attain that and it's done yeah like it's a constant battle like you ask Nando's they're not like yeah we know what we're doing we don't have to worry about this anymore sure They've got teams and teams and teams of people working about how can they keep, how can they improve consistency across their restaurant. Absolutely. And it's a thing that's changing as well, certainly yeah. in terms of the experience and, yeah. and what customers are looking for. That's yeah. constantly changing as well. Absolutely. So with the market changing, you have to continue to change. And Absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, there are, there are a few, you know, there are a few industries, I think, other than maybe music or film or something that are less sort of faddy than restaurants. Sure. Like, sure. what's flavor of the month here, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago is not flavor of the month now. Sure. And that will change again. And I think, I guess the one thing we, you know, we, I think we can hopefully bank on is that pizza is, pizza is forever, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. There's a lot of people that do pizza and it's a hugely competitive space, but it's not going to be a faddy food. Mm. It's not something that in 10 years time people won't be eating pizza. Sure. So I guess we've always got that. And that, you know, that's why everything we do is about the pizza. Every, every, we put the pizza at the heart of the whole business. Sure. So we're writing this book at the moment about like pizza across the world and, uh, it's just nice to you know, go out and just see pizza in all of its guises. And we, we do Neapolitan pizza and love Neapolitan pizza, but going to speak to a New York guy about pizza, mm. they'll be as passionate, if not more passionate than the Neapolitans about their style. Mm. And then you go to Chicago and it's the same. And you go to, even if you go to like the Middle East, they have a, like, a version of pizza that yeah, you, know, yeah. is, um, is, uh, you know, is always at the forefront. So you know, it's just great to see how this idea of a sort of a flatbread with toppings exists all sure. over the world. Interesting. When's the book out? The book is out in October. Okay. Yeah. Good. Look forward We're, to it. We've got our first day, <laughs> our first day of restaurant shoot on Monday. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So let's talk about people. Yeah. Uh, it's a big thing for you guys. <coughs> and obviously a big, if not the biggest issue in hospitality, uh, certainly in the UK at the moment. Yeah. How do you, first of all, how do you find the right people that suit your brand and aligned with your culture? Yeah. and your vision and then how do you retain them so how do you look after them how do you instill the culture in the people and how do you maintain consistencies of that as well yeah i mean it is the number one challenge i think you know people yeah. are everything in, in i mean in all industries really but in, in hospitality certainly um and i think ultimately we're looking for one thing when we hire when we hire someone in um to one of the restaurants is the right attitude I think you know it's so important that that person is positive and like sees the sees you know the good stuff in life and wants to you know wants to learn and wants to develop and I think that's the person you want. If they don't, if they've never even carried a plate before. That's not a problem. It's just are they are they up for it? Are they going to interact with guests? Well, for a long time, our only interview question was what's your favorite film and why? Okay. Just because I think it shows it demonstrates are you interested in the world? Like I mean, I know film is not everything, but like do you have an interest in stuff that you can kind of manifest and explain quickly and because that is essentially what the interaction with the table will be sure it might be like over a sporting fixture or a movie or a song or a pizza or a t-shirt but you've got to be interested in the world sure. i think i, I think guess it shows really a lot about their personality as well i think and so and their and passion I, for something and i think there's no wrong answer like 
Alison, who's one of our legendary recent employees from about a couple of years ago, you know, I asked her that question and she was straight back at me with like, I don't really like films, but I read two books a week and this is my favourite book. And, that, and then you're like, okay, cool, I'm totally in. It's not about sure. film, it's about what's the reaction. Sure. So the attitude is, is a really crucial thing. And, and then I think giving them the right environment to flourish is hugely important. Yep. So you know, there's, sort of, there's a misguided perception that hospitality is, is easy, is an easy job. And I, I, don't think, I don't think it is. Like, I think, you know, come and work on a Friday night in Carnaby Street and you'll see that it's, it's hard. It's like, you know, it's a lot of people demands on you from your own teammates to the kitchen to the customers to whatever. You know, it's, it's a high pressure environment. So you really try and create an environment where people can flourish, where they, you know, they, they're eased in. And, and you know can find can find their own way to do stuff and give them proper training no matter what role they've come into the company on um, and I think the sort of the, our latest um, endeavor which is our um, academy in Camden is the sort of final version of that which is you know create a safe space that literally allows people to come in and work in a sort of customer free environment on day one and then like build up their customer interaction over a week and, and maybe even discover that what they, you know, the thing that they thought they came into just to be a waiter is actually not their passion. Their passion is to be a barman or to be a chef. So like create a space where you can actually figure that out for yourself. But I think, you know, my, my big feeling on hospitality is that um, it, it teaches you as a person one thing, which is people. It mm. teaches you like you, you interact with people all day, every day from suppliers, you know, other teammates, bosses, customers, like in so many different ways. Mm. And I think, you know, it teaches you things that you will never learn in a classroom. Mm. And I, I genuinely believe that like, you know, as a young person, go and do your degree in whatever you're passionate about, let's say it's engineering or whatever you mum and dad think you should be doing to get like a proper job. Do that, come out of university and then come and do like two years, even a year, two, three years ideally in hospitality. And you will, A, you'll have a great time because you'll be a young person in hospitality, which is you know, just full of amazing people. But you will learn about people and you will walk out of that job so much more confident. You might decide after two or three years that actually hospitality is for you and that you'll have, and you know, so many of our guys who have done that are you know, doing great and are loving it. But if you don't decide that, you know, it is a hard job and it is for young people. And I think even if you just do two or three years and then, and then you can go and apply the degree and the sort of, university of life stuff combined makes you a 10 times better engineer to my point of view to, sure. in my head whereas to go and do your degree and then go and work for an engineering firm on the fifth floor doing photocopy for two years to me is not not the best use of that time sure i think uh like a fun atmosphere is very important for you as well and i heard you say before that your business is almost like a reverse mullet <laughs> party at the front of business i haven't heard back. that for ages yeah <laughs> is exactly that still right. something you kind of live by and it absolutely still, is it the is. places have got to be fun like that's you know it's, it's a huge part of why you're out and don't you know if the place isn't a fun buzzy vibrant place then you know it's almost more important than the food mm. like um so yeah that that is the number one thing for us but i think the way you get there and that that is something that i guess I guess we brought the fun from day one. Mm. We could always do that. I don't know, for whatever reason, it's just, it just seemed to be there. But the bit that we didn't know anything about and are still learning about is the business bit. Mm. And I think every month that goes by, we're getting better at you know, getting that bit clear, knowing what, what, what works for us and what doesn't, like giving the managers more autonomy um, to run their own, you know, understand their own P&Ls, run their own restaurants, make crucial decisions. Um, so yeah, the... the the business bit is 
has, has been growing all the time. And I think, you know, we've, we've now got a team in who understand it, fr frankly, much better than we do. And like really, you know, know what we're looking for and how we, how we kind of make a really well-oiled machine to, to deliver, you know, to, to, to do the business bit, I guess. Okay, interesting. Um, let's talk about the market in general. It's yep. obviously tough times at the moment for yep. a lot of restaurants, yeah, operators, yeah. chains, etc. Absolutely. You guys are growing, a fairly well-established group of restaurants. How are you performing in general terms? And how do you compete? And how do you react to the market changes? Um, we, I mean, we are growing and we're, you know, we're growing both in a number of stores, but also in like for likes, I think. We had our best year ever last financial year and we're on track to beat it this year, which is great. Um, I think we are, I mean, we've been saying literally from the day we were carrying gas canisters down to the market store, we just had this thing of like, you know, it's a long game. It's a long game. We have no short termist view of anything in this business. Like mm. the only way to do this is to do it properly and try and build it on concrete, not on sand. And I think, you know, I, I just so firmly believe that like every one of our managers should work 48 hours, not 70 hours. And every one of our, you know, we, we should have the right support team for those guys to do it right. And I think a lot of people potentially would not, we've probably, you know, any business person would tell you that we've overinvested in our head office. There are too many people in a head office for the size of our restaurant group. That's what it is. But, but we just want, you know, the, the, we want the support to be there for the teams, and that's the only way we're going to grow and be great. Is like slowly, slowly, mm. um, and look after people, and look after yeah. people, and give them, you know, give them the space that they are not just like working every hour that God sends because there's no one else to do the job. Yeah, you know, it's like make sure there are no gaps. Make sure, make sure your restaurants have, you know, a manager and one assistant or two assistants. Make sure they have a head chef. Mm. And I think it's so easy to be like, oh, you know, we haven't got a head, head chef here, but it'll be fine. And suddenly there are three restaurants, then there are five. And you know, it's and that, that, not only the gap in the person there, but it's putting strain on the whole team. Sure. Everyone is feeling that strain. Sure. So yeah, just making sure that you know, you're keeping keeping the restaurants, giving them the resources they need, which is expensive. Sure. Yeah. And what about then the market and changing consumers' eating habits and dining habits? Yeah. So obviously looking for more experiences, the yeah. vegan trends, health trends. Yeah. How are you reacting and keeping up to date on that? So we've been doing. As always, we kind of always sort of last the market with it because we kind of over obsess about it. But we're we're testing a vegan cheese in Dean Street at the moment, which okay. has been going well. And the, again, the idea was to sort of get it out there in a very low key way. Everyone comes with a feedback card, and it's like we want to know what you think. This is a sort of work in progress product. Feedback's been fantastic, and we're really excited about it. We're making some tweaks to the product, but really hoping that we're going to be able to roll that out in the next couple of months across across the stores. I think the vegan thing is huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we might be in the most intense expression of it right now but i don't think it's going to it's definitely not going away mm. um so yeah and i you know i think the interesting thing for us is that 60 percent of our sales in restaurant already are, are, are non-meat wow um, so like okay. as much as there's dairy on there which is equally as problematic you know we, we don't we don't we don't have we're not selling steak or mm. hamburgers or you know we're not a meat thing so that so we're starting from a good place there, but that's no reason to, to slack off it. And actually my big focus this year is sustainability and mozzarella is gonna be our biggest challenge on that. Because mm. you want the product to be fantastic, but you know you wanna make sure it's not, it's doing the least impact to the, to the planet as possible. Um, Gluten-free, you know, we are still working at it. I think we've been working at it for a long time. We wanna find something, we're getting there and we've found some great stuff and I think 
we just want to make sure it's great and I think what we don't want to do is just rush something to market and then be mm. like oh it's actually not that good mm. um, but it's a huge you know we know that our customers want it and we are still working hard to get there um, halal is the other one it's a really big you know really mm. big market and I think you know obviously Italians hugely focused on pork as a as a meat mm. so trying to find some alternative pepperoni options for example that are, that are halal is a, is a focus for us too mm. I mean one of our central tenets of the business is like pizza for everyone okay. we want to get to a place where we never wanted to be in any way sort of exclusive or only for a certain type of person you know certainly our, our Kingly Court restaurant is the perfect example of it's suits from Mayfair it's families coming out of Hamleys it's tourists it's shoppers it's you know Soho Bohemian guys it's, it's like the whole cross section of culture and we want that to be the same for all of our pizzerias. Sure. So sure. you know, you've, so you've got to work at making sure there's nothing. You know, you're not excluding anyone in your menu. Sure. And you want to be attractive to as many people as possible. So yeah, exactly. Attracting as many people as possible. Exactly yeah. right. But uh, yeah, you just don't want to. T- you just don't want to be turning people away. Sure. You know, another one is alcohol-free. Like we're working really hard on having good alcohol-free options. I mean, it's not rocket science. Everyone, everyone's doing this stuff. But, sure. Sure. But it's you know, it's important. Sure. And what about the delivery stream? Yeah. So obviously, pizza delivery is huge. Huge. Yeah. yeah. How important is that to the business and how do you focus on that? Uh, so currently delivery is about 15, 16% of the business. Um, feels like about the right amount. We spent a long time sort of resisting it and then the bottom line is, I mean, we just started to get messages being like, are you a pizza company or not? Type mm. thing. Like you need to be able to do delivery. So yeah, you know, we've, we've embraced it and I think in certain, certain, certain stores we don't do it at all. Um, Why? Why is that? Just because we feel like it would be detrimental to the quality of the product going out. Okay. You know, the, the store's too busy already. Okay. So, you know, um, there, there are stores like that and then there are some stores where it forms a big part um, of, of what they do. Um, it's never a primary reason to take a, take a site, but it's a great, you know, we have to accept that we're lucky in many ways, but also you know, pizza is a great delivery product. Like, so we, you know, we, we embrace it now. And I think it's, it's now we've completely flipped, flipped reversed it and, I'm, I'm almost certain that we couldn't operate our own delivery. I wouldn't want to. I think it's just very, very, you know, you've got to be, it's so logistics focused and it's really, really a tough thing to do really well. Um, so we're never going to, we're never going to do that, I don't think. So on that basis, you know, we really need to deliver as a partner, not a supplier and like work both ways with them. And as much as they, you know, they own the data and, you know, God knows what's going to happen in the future. but. Mm they will supply you with that information. They will work with you. They will tell you like what's good and what's bad. They do know like things that operationally are really important to your restaurant, mm. um, like your prep time and your, um, but you know, all of our stores pretty much, I mean, all of our stores are between sort of 4.2 and 4.6 on Google stars, which is, you know, out five, whatever. and the delivery is pretty much reflect that so we're, we're you know we're in, we're in parity with it okay but the, the focus will always be eating i mean you know we want to create fun environments that people want to come to that you know are buzzy and you know cozy and sure nice places and i think that that and it still is as i say it's 85 percent of our business now okay and what does the future hold for pizza pilgrim so would you see yourself potentially franchising or is it just managing growth internally or do I you think have a vision at all uh, <laughs> i mean there's not like a sort of like nailed nailed on like super plan uh i think you know we we every day we sort of slightly wake up and pinch ourselves and go like how have we got here and let's just keep sort of doing what we're doing i think trying to do 
things like the academy I'm hugely excited about I think it's you know really wanted to be it's uh, sort of um, social enterprise it's going to be pizza at the front where you, you know, all of our sales and then go back into training people in the back uh, and that will be sort of young people who are joining pizza pilgrims young people just getting into the industry more generally but also you know um, people need a fresh start so ex-homeless people ex-cons that kind of thing um, so we're really excited about that and like making a real center for excellence of like making ourselves better and being able to like really internally focus on how do we constantly improve. Um, I think that's the other bit that really excites us. Like growth is one part of it, but just trying to be better than we were last month, last year, all the time. And I think we do that. I mean, certainly I would say the pizza we're selling today is better than the pizza we've ever sold. And if it ever wasn't that, I would very quickly lose interest, I think. Sure. So it's really about focusing on the fundamentals and the basics and getting them right. I think Keep, so. Keeping them right. I mean, at the same time, we're awful at that and we're always off like, with some fanciful idea about writing a book or doing an academy. And, you know, I think probably the advice from anyone looking in would be like, stop doing all this, focus on that. But we're really, you know, we've got teams of people doing that now and it is, you know, we know that's what we're about. We, we just want to make everything better all the time. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. What advice would you give somebody, let's say with an idea, wants to start out, maybe test it in the street food market? Yeah. So if somebody has an idea, they're not quite sure how to get it off the ground. Yeah. Um, maybe, may or may not go on a pilgrimage, potentially. Ah. But what, what would you advise to get them going? I think you just, the thing is you don't know what you don't know until you've actually done anything. Like, I think we spent way too much time, and we didn't even spend that much time, but we spent too much time sort of in the bedroom trying to figure out like what we were doing. And it's like, you just go around doing anyway, even if it's, get 20 mates around for a dinner party and like cook whatever you want to cook for them and see how that goes. At least that's like phase one. You might, you know, if you do that and you go, God, that was stressful, probably restaurants aren't for you. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you've got sure. to, you've got to come at it in baby steps. So we did, you know, we did a party for 50 <coughs> mates with pizza when we first did it. Then I went to my old advertising agency and we cooked for a hundred people there. And we, you know, you just go out and do stuff. And every time you do, you'll learn, you'll have pictures of you doing it. You'll prove, that you know you've done that stage and you know that's all it is to get you know investment or uh, traction you know when we were trying to get market sources of council like we had all this stuff being like here's the stuff we're doing we're, we really want to make this if you're just standing there going like we really want to start a pizza company but we haven't done anything yet it's such a different conversation sure i think you know just getting out and doing stuff will be the way you learn everything and i think the fear is that with google nowadays like, everything's been done mm. like there is no original idea mm. um but it doesn't mean it's been done as well as it could be or that there's not room for more people doing it. Or sure. So I think there's a fear that like, oh, I've got a great idea, but someone's already done it. It doesn't matter. Sure. Go and do it, put your own spin on it. Like, sure. But just do it and, and ask as well. Like the other thing that people don't do, which always surprises me is, you know, get people's input. Like certainly from Indian hospitality, like people love, love talking about themselves and like helping. And you know, it's, it's such a people focused industry that you know, we went out and asked everyone, like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Like, do you know, how do we find a site? How do we do this? How do we do that? And I always, you know, if people contact me and, and want to ask, I had one literally earlier this week, you know, just a 10 minute conversation. It mm. doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean I'm right. Mm. But, you know, when you're starting out, there's a lot of stuff. And I think just getting some input from someone to be like, okay, this does make sense. Sure. Is so valuable. Sure. So it's just getting out there and going for it, really. <sighs> I know it's sort of a bit of a cliche, but I think that's it. I think... There's too much sort of navel gazing goes on. Sure. I think I, I think it, it's doing stuff that is not gonna. To me, like going straight from I don't know what I'm doing at all to I want to open a restaurant in Soho. 
is the scary bit because it's like, well, you don't know what you're doing. You're diving straight in with a huge financial outlay into something that, you know, probably will be amazing, but you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, don't do that. Go and do like little baby steps. You don't even have to quit your job to do that. Sure, sure. That's the other thing is everyone's like, I want to start, you know, insert lovely little food business here, but I don't want to quit my job. It's like, I, I, you know, do a few tests, but there comes a point where you've got to take the plunge. Yeah, go for it. You've go got to. You've yeah, got to. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. Very good. Very good. Well, great speaking to you, Tom. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you very much. It's really right. refreshing that you focus on the fundamentals and in particular people as well. I think it's super important these it's, days. It's and the it's, most important thing. It is. Yeah. 100%. So, uh, great to speak to you. Thanks yeah. very much. No worries. Thank you. Cheers.